been in this uh, series called Asking for a Friend, and really what we're working through is a portion, not all of, a portion of what's called Alpha. And we have a midweek group that's meeting uh, here as well during Lent, so this seven weeks. Um, Alpha is a group experience. We start in this room, about 140 of us, and we're watching uh, some videos, about 25 minutes, that just become a little bit of a discussion starter for what happens in our groups. And I think last week I had a couple people take me up on just coming and watching the videos and then you snuck out so that nobody saw you sneak out because <laughs> you didn't want to be in the group. And that's fine. You can do that if you'd like to. It's been a, it's been a really good series and I'm, I'm excited for where we are today and the different steps that we're taking. Uh, here's a little bit of my basis and, and what I want to encourage us to consider. So no matter where you are on the faith spectrum, Christian faith spectrum, no matter what you believe uh, even if you would consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic, here's something that, that I think is a baseline for all of us, and it's simply this, that every worldview, uh, whether or not that's a theistic worldview, uh, requires some element of faith. So no, no matter what worldview, uh, faith system, religion that you might have in your, in your view, how you live your life, it does require an element of faith. And because of that, I think, and I think it makes sense that we should take a step back and look at the evidence so that we know that the lives that we're living, the worldview that we have, um, that, that the evidence is supporting the way that we're, we're living. Does that, does that make sense? And so I would encourage you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, uh, whether it's theistic or not, uh, that, that it includes a God or not, that you would take some time to really think about why do I believe what I believe? Why do I live my life the way that I live my life? And that's, that's what this series uh, is all about. We've, we've wrestled with these two questions the last two weeks. Uh, the first week we wrestled with the question, is there more to life than this? And this question really addresses what almost every human being runs into at some point in their life where they say, there has got to be more to life than just this. Have you ever been there? There's gotta be more to life. And we talked about that, sometimes that cycle that we go on, oh, when I, when I graduate from college and get into the real world, then I'll experience life. And then you get a job and you realize very quickly that working nine to five there's got to be more to life than just this. And then you think, oh, when I get married, then I'll be fulfilled. Then everything will come together. Then everything, and, and then you get married, and it's awesome. Like, it's great, but there's still this sense of there's, there's a void in our lives. And I believe in what the Christian worldview uh, and faith would say is that God has placed within every human being a void that can only be filled by his love and his grace. And so, is there more to life than this? And the answer from the Christian worldview is, is yes. There is more to life than what you can see and touch and feel in, in the world. And then last week, we wanted to answer the question, who is Jesus? And if you were here last week, we wrestled with that question a little bit and looked at the influence that Jesus has had over the last 2,000 years. And I, I don't wanna say a lot about this, but I do wanna say, it's unbelievable when you just think about the fact that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East 
in a little-known part of the world, born in Bethlehem, raised kind of on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth and uh, Caesarea. And uh, it's amazing that this man had the influence that he had over the last 2,000 years. Whatever you believe about uh, his divinity, it's unbelievable, isn't it, that people still gather today in the name of Jesus to worship him. It's unbelievable. So uh, what is that? I mean, who is this man, Jesus, that continues to this day to influence people at such a significant level? Uh, and, and I shared with you, uh, I'm so grateful that my parents introduced me to Jesus because it has changed the entire trajectory of my life. I'm so grateful for his grace and his mercy and his love for me. And I want you to know that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Whether or not you've experienced that or felt that or heard that, God's love for you is so great uh, that he was willing to go to all lengths to send his son uh, so that you might know about him and get a glimpse of who he is. In fact, um, I think uh, we looked at this quote from Bono last week where he said, my understanding of the scripture has been made simple by the person of Christ. Now listen, the scriptures, like when you read both the Hebrew and the Greek scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is complex. Would you agree? Can I get an amen in the congregation? There's a complexity to it. It's not simple. There's so much depth to it and so many different layers um, and what Bono says is, as he's looked at the evidence is that Christ in some way simplifies the complexity because at the center of the life of Christ is this sacrificial, self-giving love. And that, at its heart, is simply the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. In, in the Christian faith, you look at Jesus and you see this sacrificial human, this humble, compassionate, sacrificial human that really gives us a glimpse of who God is. Um, Jesus himself said this. He said the thief, uh, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And there is an enemy who wants to destroy your life and wants to destroy my life. And However you view that, whatever that looks like, there is evil in this world, and evil will destroy our lives, will, will kill us, will pull us apart. And what Jesus said is, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundant. And so that's, that's the, the heart of who Jesus was. Now, last week I ended, some of you are like, are you still in a recap? I'm still in a recap. I'm getting there, though. We're going to get there. We got work to do. Um, so last week we ended with this question. Jesus, uh, with his disciples, had gathered with them, and he was asking them the question, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And then Jesus asks them, I think, what is probably the most important question that any of us could wrestle with in life. And here's what Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It's this really personal question that uh, turns from this idea of like what's the influence that Jesus has had in the world and, and you can look at all the evidence, but at the heart of the matter, Jesus asks his, his disciples, and I think he would ask us today, if he were here today, I think at some level Jesus would look each one of us in, in the eyes with compassion and mercy and grace and love and he would say, now who do you say that I am? 
Like take all the evidence, all, all of that, but, but who do you say that I am? Now Peter, I didn't give you the answer last week. Did anybody look it up? What, what's the, what did Peter say? And so Peter responds and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So, so he, he makes a statement, Peter makes a statement and really what we would say is this is a statement of faith. Because he couldn't know this to be sure that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one that the Jews had been looking for. So it was a statement of faith, he could, but the evidence that Peter had experienced to that point in his life with Jesus pointed to the reality that, that Jesus was the Messiah, the living God. He had seen miracles, he had heard this teaching that was a whole new way of thinking, and he, he responded with, I, th- I think, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, and Jesus responds to that by saying, you know, blessed are you, Peter, this is not something that humans have taught you. Now, don't miss this, like, that statement of faith and the, and the life of faith that, that Peter spoke at that moment wasn't something that he learned in school or listening to a sermon, it was an experience, a relational, personal experience that he was having with the living God through Jesus. And he responded with a statement but was backed up by his life. He had, uh, Peter had given up all that he was doing to follow this man, Jesus. And so today, um, what I want to wrestle with and what I want to invite you into a conversation that maybe would start this morning but would continue throughout the week is simply a question that is, what is faith and how can I have it? Like, what, what really is the concept of faith in, in the Christian worldview, in the, in the, in the Christian faith? What, what does that mean when we say faith and then how can we have faith? Does that make sense? So are you ready? to do a little work. Now, we've got, we've got to undo some things in our minds, and I have to undo some things in my mind and some ways that we've been taught to think about faith. And let me give you the definition that you might find in the dictionary of what faith is. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something, or the persuasion of the mind that a certain statement is true or trustworthy. And here's where I want to spend a little bit of time undoing maybe how we're conditioned to think about faith. That second definition, the persuasion of the mind. I think we inadvertently live here when we talk about Christian faith. Now, don't, don't leave me. Stay with me. Because I think this is so very important. I think we're conditioned and inadvertently, I think the church at some points have, has done this in, in, in the past. With all the great things that we've learned and grown up in, in the church for those who have, I think some of us have been conditioned to believe that faith is simply a persuasion of the mind. That faith is something that happens internally here in our lives. And I think when we rest in that, we're missing the fullness of the Christian faith, what the faith really is intended to be. And so I want to take a couple of minutes um, digging into this very concept. Um, 
Nikki Gumbel, who is the, the pastor who really began the, the, the Alpha series and what we're doing, um, he says this about faith, that faith is not a blind leap. So, so many of us assume that faith is just this blind like leap into the unknown, um, that it's just something that we think in our minds. And what, what he says is it's, it's, it's not a blind leap, it's, it's a step taken based on some strong evidence. That faith, um, it, it is a step, like we can't be fully sure, but it's based on evidence. Faith is not just this blind um, condition of the mind to agree with something. Does that make sense? And I, th- I think we've kind of fallen into that. So let me, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna nerd out just for a minute, if you'll allow me. So one of the only definitions we have in the Bible with regards to faith is this one found in Hebrews chapter 11. Now Hebrews is a, a brilliant letter that was written, uh, in some ways a pastoral le- uh, letter. The, the, the beginning of the, the letter of Hebrews is all about what God has done through Jesus. And it's painting this beautiful pic- picture of who Jesus is. And then it, um, it turns to, now what are we to do about it? And in chapter 11, we have this beautiful chapter of what is faith. And so this is a definition, one of the only definitions we have in Scripture that really talks about faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see, the author says. And then the author begins to give examples of faith throughout the entire chapter. Now, stay with me. I know that when I start to nerd out, some of you... um, might drift off. Don't, don't drift off. One of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to Scripture is that Scripture was um, written in Shakespearean English. Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me. Scripture was written primarily in two languages, the Scripture that we have, and it was written in he- Hebrew and Greek, And one of the biggest challenges we have is to translate sometimes very complex ideas into a language that they weren't written in. And that is sometimes really difficult. I grew up with one translation of the Bible, it's called the NIV. And here's a picture of the NIV's translation of the same scripture. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. What's interesting about the way this is translated in these two different versions that we have, it's the same Bible, it's just a difference of opinion on how it's translated, the concept here. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Now, faith is confidence. One of my, I grew up reading the NIV, the bottom one, and what I believe I begun to to understand was that faith was confidence and assurance, which both of those words at some level have to do with the internal processes of my mind and my heart. So faith is confidence, like I'm confident that this is true, which means I believe it to be true, and assurance that I can work it up to be assured that this is true, whether or not it really is, like it's that. Um, scholars throughout the ages have kind of debated what 
you know, the right translation of this is, and there's kind of diverging ideas, and that's okay. Some of you are like, is that really okay? It's, it's okay. It's difficult, but, but we can be okay with it. The, the second one, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, so the reality is more of an experience. There's more to it than just the heart and mind, the internal pieces of our lives. There's actually a, an experience or something practiced out here, it shows the reality, it's the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, let me give you an example of this, because I know I've lost like half in the room. There is a statement in Scripture um, that says something like this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, you've heard that one. I'm so glad. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if, if, if I wanted to have faith that that is true, and my faith only had to do with my mind, then it, it could mean that I, I have the confidence that it's better to give than to receive. I, I am confident that that is true. And so therefore, you should give me something because I'm assured that if you do, you're going to really enjoy giving that to me. Does that make sense? Like, I believe it to be true, but I, like, the practice of it might not matter as much. Now, some of you think, this is just semantics. I don't know if this is that important. It is. Stay with me. We're going to get there. You're like, you're really trying to convince me to stay with you today, Matt. Now, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. If it is more than just something that happens in my mind, if it's not just a persuasion of the mind, when I give something, there is a reality to what I'm doing. There is a reality of what we hope to be true. And the evidence, when I give this, the evidence the, the experience that I have in, in giving you something, I realize that participating in that is better than just receiving all the time. Does, does that make sense? So there is this marriage between what I think to be true, but also what I experience in the world around me. And so I'm gonna take this definition of, of just the idea of it's, it's something in our mind, and faith, I would say then, is trust enacted. So it's belief, but that belief is put into practice. Does that make sense? So faith isn't just mental assent that something is true, but rather faith is a trust or a belief that I have that I am now experiencing by the way that I'm living. My life is walking in, in line with my mind or what I say I believe or thought that leads to an active response. Um, let me give you a really practical picture of this. So this week on Wednesday, and he happens to be in the room so I can point him out, this, this week on Wednesday, there, was, um, there were forecasts that there was going to be rain in the evening. Have we had so much rain this year? This morning I got up and I looked at the weather and it said that there was a flood um, warning. And I was like, how could there be a flood warning? 
Like, it's, there's nothing but blue skies outside. What, this must be for somewhere else. And I looked, and, and it was because we've had so much rain that they're having to release water out of the reservoirs north of here, and it's going to flood some of the low-lying areas down uh, near the Salt River. Is that crazy? We've had so much. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm telling you. Um, so on Wednesday, I came for our Alpha, and we were here, and then we went to our group, and um, there's a guy named Bruce in my group, and Bruce was sitting there, and all of a sudden, it just started pouring. Like, you could hear it on the rooftop. Like, it was just pouring. And Bruce reached down, and he picked up an umbrella, and he smiled. <laughs> and I was like, what is that? And he said, it's an umbrella. And I said, who carries one of those? And he said, I heard the forecast that it was going to rain. Now, faith, faith isn't just hearing something and agreeing with it in our minds. Faith is, I trust that forecast, and I'm going to do something that matches what I believe about that forecast. I'm actually going to bring an umbrella tonight. I don't even have an umbrella. Bruce brought an umbrella. He heard the forecast. He brought an umbrella. That's faith. That's faith. Um, here's another example. If you've lived in Arizona for very long, in Phoenix, in the valley for very long, um, you get into August and you think to yourself, who in their right mind would live in this place? <laughs> right? I mean, you get to the middle of August, the end of August, you get into September and you're like, what am I thinking? Like there are places to live all over the world and I live on the surface of the sun. I get up in the morning, it's 95 degrees outside. I walk outside, it's like I walked into the oven. It's like I just opened the oven, and if you haven't lived here for very long, or if you're one of our winter uh, residents, we love you. Stick around. It's an experience. It's a dry heat. Um, but uh, what is it that keeps you here through the month of August and September? Some of you are like, nothing keeps me here, I leave. Those of you who stay, those of you who stay, what is it that keeps you here? It's now. It's your home. But it's because you have faith. You've had an experience that the rest of the year is the best possible thing in the world. And so I'm going to live here. I'm going to stay here. I, I can make it. That's faith. Faith isn't just something up here. It's actually enacted in the world. Tim Mackey helped me with this. Um, Tim Mackey is the founder of, of the Bible Project, and um, Tim says this about faith. He says, faith begins with reason. It does begin in our mind. It's something that we have up here and, and in our hearts, but it is completed only by committed action and obedience. Like, faith is something that we, we, we have some reason, we look at the evidence, but it's completed as we actually walk out what we say we believe. If we don't actually live according to our beliefs, my biggest question is, do we really believe it? All of us, every single one of us, have beliefs that are guiding our daily lives. You, you believe something about the reality of the world. You believe something. And the way that you can get to the heart of your beliefs is to look at the daily life, the journey of, of 
of your lifetime and begin to look at why am I living the patterns that I'm currently living today. That's how you get to your beliefs. Sometimes we think we have beliefs, but our lives don't reflect those beliefs, which means they're not really beliefs. Was that confusing? You know what I'm saying? Um, when we say, let me, here's another example of this. When we say that over the years there have been a lot of people who are faithful Suns fans, Phoenix Suns fans, what, what, do we, what, do we, what does it mean to say that they've been faithful? Does it mean that they've just believed something? Like when, when the ownership or whoever about the Suns, they say, we're so thankful for the many faithful Suns fans throughout the years, are they talking about people who just believe the Suns can maybe one day again win a playoff game? Is that what they... No, faithful Suns fans are the ones who actually buy tickets and show up. The rest of us aren't. We're fair-weather friends and fans who just show up when they win. It's interesting that we use this phrase, faithful, to describe maybe something like fans who continue to buy tickets even though it's losing season after losing season after losing season or challenging seasons. Man, tough crowd today. <laughs> Why do we use this language but we don't translate it to Christian faith? And we inadvertently believe Christian faith is just something that happens up here. Now, Christian faith is an experience and a reality that's lived. It might start here, but then it's lived. N.T. Wright, you know, I, I go back to N.T. Wright so many times, a scholar who says, what is faith? It's simply an understanding of how things are wedded to a commitment to live one's life in light of that understanding. And listen, make no mistake, all of us do this. It's just what is the heart of what you believe to be true about the reality of the world? That's, what's your understanding of how things are? If you really believe that God's kingdom is the best possible way to live, then you're gonna live your life according to that understanding and, and that reality. That's what N.T. Wright says. A um, Couple quick stories. So Jesus, this is in um, The Chosen, that great series, um, Jesus at one point is teaching in this house and the house is packed with people. And um, some friends have, uh, they, they have a friend with, who, who's, who's paralyzed, he can't walk. Do you guys remember this story? And so they, they put him on a mat and they try to bring him to Jesus but they can't get close enough to Jesus because there's too many people around. And so they climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof, which is a terrible thing. Don't do that to your friends. But they dig a hole in the roof because they love their friends so much and they want to get him close to Jesus. And they lower him down to be right in front of Jesus. And what's crazy about this story is it says, like go read the story. It says that Jesus, does it say Jesus knew their faith? Like knew what they believed? It says Jesus saw their faith. What does it mean that Jesus saw their faith? It, it means that they lived in such a way that reflected what they believed, that if we can get our friend close to Jesus, something may happen. They didn't know that it was gonna happen. 
They weren't convinced that he was gonna do something, but their life was gonna be lived in such a way that expressed what they believed. Later in Jesus' life, he's having dinner at someone else's house. Jesus goes to a lot of people's houses. So Jesus is having dinner at someone's house, and this lady who is kind of known uh, probably just by the way that we read scripture, she was probably a prostitute in this little village town area, and she makes her way, somehow she sneaks into the house, they're all sitting around eating dinner, she makes her way to Jesus and she kneels down in front of him and she begins to anoint his feet and her tears are falling on his feet and all the people that Jesus is eating with, the religious leaders are ticked off and they're like, man, if he was really the son of God, he would know who's touching his feet and he would kick her out and be mad at her and all of that and it says that Jesus saw her faith What does that mean that he saw her faith? Did he see inside her mind? Probably, because he was Jesus, but I think what it means is that he saw what she was doing and he said, your sins are forgiven because he saw her faith. Do you see the differences and how maybe we've fallen into the idea that faith is just something that we say we believe and yet our lives don't match that? We don't walk out what begins in our mind. A um, couple passages of scripture to, in John, um, my favorite gospel story of Jesus, to anyone who believed him and accepted him. And again, belief here isn't just here. There's much more to it. To anyone who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God and they are reborn. Something happens when we step into faith, when we begin to believe the reality that following Jesus or living according to Jesus' teachings of receiving him into our life, that following him does something that begins a new life within us, that we live life differently. We are reborn, not a physical rebirth, but we are reborn to experience this world in a whole new way. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. That's what he means, that if we actually live according to our faith in him, that we begin to experience a whole new life. I don't just believe this to be true. I actually live as if it were true. And the resurrection of Jesus, which we have a lot of evidence for, but we can't prove it. The evidence of of Jesus' resurrection and, and Christian faith, make no mistake, Christian faith hinges on this, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. But what it means is that Jesus is the first fruit of what we hope for. It's the it's the first picture of what is coming. And faith is what leans its weight into that to live in such a way as to not just like mentally agree with it, but to live in such a way that we begin to experience the fruits of eternity right now, right here. Listen, what I'm saying to you is don't wait for eternity to experience some of what you can experience right here. Faith isn't just something to have in your mind I've heard these stories so often that people said, I'm just gonna wait and receive Christ later in my life. And it's like, why would you miss out 
on glimpses of heaven and experiences of resurrection in the here and now. Why wait for that? Faith is leaning your weight and living in such a way that that you begin to experience the, the fruit of resurrection here and now. Listen, it's crazy to say forgiveness is the best way to live. It's crazy. It makes no sense to someone who hurts you to forgive them. Like in human sense, what makes sense is that I'm gonna get revenge. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. Doesn't that make sense? Have any of you ever tried that? Come on, be honest, you're in church. Have you ever tried to get revenge on someone who's hurt you? Did it feel good? Some of you are like, well, a little bit. <laughs> but probably your experience is it didn't meet the expectation that you had when you inflicted the pain. There was something missing. Because the way of Jesus, forgiveness, is the best way to live. It actually releases you and gives you freedom in life and doesn't bind you to something else. I, I want to spend a couple more hours <laughs> <laughs> talking about this. I'm not going to, I promise. Paul wrote, wrote um, to the church, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. This is what he means. Is that when you, when you step into your faith in Christ, you, you, you begin to live in such a way that your old life really is gone and, and you welcome a whole new way to live. Um, I'm running out of time, I know. Can you stay with me just for another couple minutes? I'm gonna skip the video that we were gonna show. Um, from You gotta come on Wednesday night if you wanna see the video. Oh, that might work better. Um, one of the things that Nikki Gumbel talks about in this week's video is he talks about how, like when you're outside of the faith, you look at the way that Christian people live who are living by their faith, and you think, that just is ridiculous. Why would you love your enemy? Why would you pray for people who persecute you? Why would you do that? That's just dumb. But then when you, when you actually begin to step into the, the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you begin to realize this is a much better way to live than how I was living before. The old is gone and the new has come. I've been reborn into a whole new experience and reality of life. Um, you know, I'm very thankful for the, the 12 steps that began really from the Oxford group, which was a group of, of people who wanted to ex experience and live out the teachings of Jesus. And Richard Rohr wrote a book on the 12 steps called Breathing Underwater, and he's talking specifically about this step. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, and when he's talking about a power greater than themselves, very clear, he's talking about God. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So what this is saying in the 12-step and, 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 uh, program and in AA is the idea that I'm, I've lost control, like I'm being controlled by 
Um, for many, that's alcohol. I'm being controlled by alcohol, and um, I've lost the ability to keep myself from that. And so we came to believe that there was a power that could restore us to a better place, a place of sanity. Now, the reality is all of us need the 12 steps. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, you need the 12 steps. <laughs> but here's why. Because at the heart of the 12 steps, that, that program, the, the, the concept, at the heart of it is the gospel. It's the understanding that I can't do it on my own, that I need to surrender to a God who is greater than me, to his power, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, who can move me to a place of sanity once again. That, that's, that's the heart of what that program is all about. And what Richard Rohr, in, in talking about this, what he says, and, and what I find to be true as well, is that that surrender of faith, not just what you believe, the surrender of faith of actually beginning to walk out the teachings of Jesus. Like, not just I believe in Jesus, but I, I have faith and walk out those teachings of Jesus, that the surrender of faith doesn't just happen in one moment. It does happen in a moment, but it doesn't just happen in one moment. But rather, it's an extended journey or a trust walk or a gradual letting go, an unlearning of, of what we've been taught in this world um, an unlearning of, of the cultural discipleship that has taken place in our lives. Let me, all of us are being discipled. You know that, right? We're all being discipled every single day. And so what this is talking about is unlearning the cultural discipleship that is happening in our lives. Um, the, the, the cultural, that, that's a big uh, discipleship, the cultural shaping that is taking place in our lives. It's unlearning that just those, those patterns of living and handing over, um, handing over control. When we, when we, by faith, receive Jesus into our lives or accept him, as one of the scriptures said, what we are doing is we are, we are placing our lives under what's called like the leadership, the lordship of Jesus as the king, as the rightful king of the entire world, but also the king over my life. We're letting go of our um, strange ways of trying to find fullness in life or fulfillment in life, and, and we're simply allowing that void to be filled up by his, his spirit to lead us to live differently. And it's why so many of us can say, when I, when I took a step of faith and received Christ, not just as my Savior, what I call, who I called my Savior, but also my Lord, I began to walk out this whole new life. The old is gone, the new has come. And um, one, of the, one of the things when I said at the beginning that we have to unlearn some things or we have to confront maybe some of the ways we've understood faith. And, and here's, here's my challenge for the next few minutes for us, 
is I want you to wrestle with, have I just um, leaned into Christianity or Christian faith and agreed with it without actually walking that faith out, without actually the reality of the experience of it, without anything else changing? Have, have I been fooling myself? And I, I think there's many of us who, you know, who would, who would say, you know, I'm so thankful I grew up in the Christian faith. I was born into it. And while we might be born into the influence of it, we can't be born into it until we make a decision and start a path and journey for ourselves. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to not just um, agree with something here, but I want, I want to encourage you to embrace it all. The personal experience of faith in your life. So the question is this, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? In your life, who, who is Jesus for you? Would, you? would you stand with me? And I'm going to say a prayer. And um, then we're going to sing this song called Do It Again. And it's just this, this song is, is a bit of a prayer that um, when we find ourselves lost in life, the same God who was faithful in the past can be faithful to do that same thing again in our lives today. And as we sing this song, I want to give you some space to respond. Um, after I pray, you can feel free to, to move around the room. Uh, there's some candles in the back corner of the room on either side, and light represents God's presence. And so maybe you feel very disconnected from God today. Maybe this idea of faith as a personal experience um, Maybe that's something that you want, you desire. So maybe you want to light a candle just as a symbolic way to say, God, I need your spirit and presence in my life, and I choose that today. Uh, there is communion at the back ring of the, the room on either side, so maybe you want to take communion to be reminded of the, the love, the sacrifice of Jesus who gave his life, was crucified and resurrected for each one of us. Um, the bread represents the body of Christ, the the juice represents the blood of Christ, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So maybe you just want to take communion on your own and remember how much you're loved. God, in these moments, um, I just pray we would be confronted with the words of Jesus when he says, who do you say that I am? And God, I, I pray that we would not just play a mental game, but that we would understand that um, faith is is a full experience. It begins with some reason and then we walk it out in our everyday life. So God, we turn to you. We pray that your spirit would guide us and direct us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.